This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I'm joined by Lewis Parole. Lewis is well-known in the compliance community, having practiced law and compliance in South Africa and four South African countries for many years. At the start of 2020, he founded his own consulting firm, Citadel Compliance. We talk about his founding of the firm in the midst of the coronavirus health crisis, the state of compliance in South Africa, and what COVID-19 has done for the practice of compliance in South Africa. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Lewis Perrell. Lewis has been in the compliance field for many years. If you have been to an SCCE conference or attended uh, both in the United States or Europe or other events, you've probably come across him. He's a well-known speaker and contributor, a longtime member of our community. And he made the bodacious step uh earlier this year to start his own consulting company, perhaps not anticipating COVID-19 and the coronavirus. Nevertheless, a brave step. I've made that step. I understand what it means. So, Lewis, first of all, uh, thank you for taking the time to visit with us today. Thank you, Tom, for for hosting me. Um, And yes, um, nobody ever see uh, COVID coming in 2020. Um, It does have its downsides in terms of, you know, businesses slowing down, but the good side and the upside of that is uh, most more and more people spending time on social media, and, and, and that gave me exposure. So uh, when I actually, when I started my consulting practice, I was laid up from an accident, and uh, I, the only time I left the house to, was to go to physical therapy, so I have some appreciation of that. But the other thing that strikes me is our audience may, may have noticed that uh, you sound like you're from East Houston as opposed to me. I'm from West Houston. So could you tell the audience where you're talking to us uh, from today? Yes, um, I'm from very, very, very far east uh, Houston um, in South Africa, Pretoria, the capital. Um, Based here, born and bred here, and um, yeah, that's where I'm from. So uh, as I mentioned, you started your own uh, consulting company, Citadel Compliance, but I was wondering if you could uh, give our audience just a, a taste of your professional background and what led you up to founding Citadel. I was quite very fortunate uh, to have a, a quite interesting and challenging career in compliance, um, working for various multinationals uh, starting way back in 2000. Uh, prior to that, I was uh, in private practice, practicing as a lawyer. Um, but it was in the financial sector where my compliance career started uh, while I was working for APSA Bank, uh, where I you know, held various uh, compliance roles during the 10 years in banking. Uh, but the role that I w- enjoyed most when I was a compliance was, was uh, when I was a compliance officer for the APSA's Africa division. Um, in 2002, APSA decided to start expanding into the uh, Southern African environment, um, and I had the opportunity to start implementing compliance programs in Tanzania and Mozambique and Angola. Uh, this was by mo- no means an easy task, but a very exciting one. You know, when I reflect on my career those days uh, sp- that I spent in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, impl- implementing compliance uh, programs in different environments and difficult situations is probably some of my mo- most fond f- uh, memories. I also met uh, some of the most interesting and some of the very most difficult people uh, th- through those uh, endeavors. 
um, which taught me quite a lot about the human, you know, about human beings, uh, what makes them tick, and and, and how to get the, to influence them and, and obtain their cooperation as as you continue with with compliance uh, initiatives. Um, but what I actually learned during that time is to start listening to people and start of trying to project your own opinions. I was fairly young still at that time, um, and you know, to listen properly is, is, is an essential skill being in compliance there. Um, also, while I was at the banking um, environment, I, I was sent on a two-year secondment project to Barclays Bank in the Seychelles, which is probably one of the most beautiful islands on the planet. Um, for the two years in the Seychelles, I, uh, I was the head of compliance and head of legal, uh, and on weekends, I was an, an, an active scuba diver, which was beautiful there. Um, just after the, the banking environment, I moved to a company called Sasol. It's a South African-based oil and gas, gas company uh, that operates globally in, in probably more than 30 countries. Um, at the time, I was tasked together with two amazing colleagues to design and implement the uh, compliance program uh, from scratch. Nothing existed at the time except an antitrust uh, type of program. Um, I was responsible at the time to, to implement the compliance program you know, for all the businesses outside of the Republic of South Africa. Um, this is probably the most fun I ever had in compliance, um, being able to design and implement a compliance program in a large uh, organization over multiple contents and different cultures, um, you know, where, they, where that was a, a foreign concept at the time for the, for the organization. This is also when I got involved in the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics, as I felt the need for exposure to global practices being isolated in South Africa at the time. Um, and due to the, uh, the huge uh, footprint of Sassel, I had to create regional hubs uh, in Houston, Texas, where you're from, was one. I had a hub in Germany and Hamburg and in Singapore, where I recruited local compliance resources to assist me um, with the rollout and implementation of the compliance program. It was an, an amazing experience uh, traveling the world and, and being able to, to, to learn different things from different people around compliance and the regulatory environment. Um, then subsequent to the oil and gas business, uh, I made a bold move to join a company called MassMart, which is the South African or African uh, uh, division of Walmart. Um, I joined them in 2014, just as Walmart started to build their international compliance program as a, as a result of the uh, Mexico allegations. I assisted the uh, CCO to implement the Walmart compliance program for Africa in various areas of compliance, including the AML and sanctions uh, program, antitrust, uh, trade compliance, privacy law, labor employment, and one of the more challenging areas, license and permits that deals with anti-corruption. Um, and subsequent to that, um, I joined an amazing company called Jable Incorporated. It's a JSE-listed manufacturing solutions provider uh, that delivers comprehensive design, manufacturing, supply chain, product management services to various customers across the globe. Um, I was appointed um, at the time as the Global Compliance Council for Africa, Middle East, and India. And during my time at Jabel, I had the privilege to work for two great individual leaders, uh, Odell Guyton, what was the, he was the former CCO for Microsoft, and then also Sherry Williams, who was the former CCO for Halliburton. Um, under their guidance, I grew quite a lot as an individual and as a compliance professional um, and learned the finer dynamic, dynamics of compliance programs from a U.S. regulatory perspective um, uh, and as, as well as uh, investigations. Um, and then during the end of 2019, Jable decided to divest from Africa due to various issues and, and, and business uh, issues that came up. And then with me located in South Africa, I decided that it's time to start doing something different. Um, that's why um, I started my own comp compliance consulting business. And uh, that was the birth of Citadel Compliance in the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, together with COVID. Well, uh, as I said, I was uh, I was actually laid up uh, from a bicycle 
Hummer event where I was the bicycle. So um, you can uh, you can certainly start a worldwide compliance practice by never leaving your house. Uh, so there is one role model for you. But I was wondering if um, you might be able to help us with understanding the current state of anti-corruption compliance in South Africa. On the one hand, uh, people like myself in the energy industry uh, have worked with or know of SASL uh, over the years, and we found it to be robust in terms of its compliance and rigorous in terms of dealing with, I was at Halliburton, for instance, uh, dealing with counterparties and, and discussions around that, even in the contracting process. Uh, if we maybe can contrast with some of the um, political events in South Africa and uh, particularly around the, the Gupta family and all of that. And I was, I was wondering if, if you could maybe help us understand, is, is it a middle ground? Is one right and one wrong? Or is it just sort of a, a industry by industry or even company by company uh, analysis you have to make? Um, South Africa has got a unique environment, you know, with with many different cultures, uh, large income disbalances and other social problems, which makes anti-corruption a real challenge in South Africa and managing it from a compliance perspective. Um, You know, if I look at the former president, he also didn't do the the country any good um, by, you know, especially including the Gupta brothers and allowing them to capture the state and have various uh, – influence on state-owned enterprises uh, that at that time was riddled with corruption and maladministration. Um, it's, it's, it's not an inherent thing in South Africa. Um, I think it's something that gradually came over time during, during the, 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 the 10 years of the previous president in, in, in power. Um, from a, a South African nationalist perspective, you know, there are many people in this country, many organizations in this country that always wants to do the right thing. It's not always easy to do that. Um, the current president, uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa, said during his State of the Nation address that he will be launching a national anti-corruption strategy in 2020. Uh, unfortunately for COVID, it's a little bit delayed, um, but it will be a task team effort uh, composed of government and civil society. Um, but this is also a clear signal of his commitment to fight uh, corruption uh, uh, in South Africa, and he's done, done some great work up until date to do that. Um, by removing some of the corrupt leaders from various government institutions, such as the head of the Hawks, the Crime Intelligence Unit, the National Prosecuting Authority, uh, the South African Revenue Services, and then also various key state-owned enterprises and replace them with, with um, people with a, a proven integrity and competence. So that's really a good sign um, you know, for people living in this country. And I think the country is definitely moving in the right direction, um, but it's also clear that we still have a lot of work to do in the anti-corruption space um, uh, to attract foreign investment, uh, which the country desperately needs, and even more so now with COVID. If a uh, U.S., U.K., Western Europe, or any other country from, excuse me, company from outside of South Africa wants to come into South Africa and do business, what are some of the initial um, uh, steps or issues that you would raise with them around anti-bribery, anti-corruption programs, policies, and procedures in the country of South Africa? First of all, I think it would be you know, good to understand the compliance fro- framework in South Africa, uh, which can be found uh, in the King Code of Corporate Governance um, and also in the General Accepted Compliance uh, practice framework that's issued by the Compliance Institute of Southern Africa that gives you a, a good basis to see the, you know, that, that organizations and the society in general in South Africa takes compliance serious. Um, these are very similar to the guidance that's issued by the DOJ and the ACC in the U.S. 
Um, but then again, depending on the type of industry you will find, you, there's various type of regulations, like anywhere else in the world, um, and it's not always uh, easy to interpret a local regulation. Um, and for these persons, one can, can always connect with a local law firm uh, on compliance consulting, uh, even companies such as Citadel Compliance itself, to help them guide through that. Um, but I think, you know, one of the higher risk compliance issues in South Africa is dealing with third parties. Um, you know, you mentioned the Guptas. It's a, it's a good example. Um, and there's many other cases um, recently in South Africa. SAP, you know, they had to pay, they paid something like $7 million to obtain contracts in South Africa. McKinsey, they had to pay back $57 million as a result of being associated with the Gupta brothers, um, you know, for bribing contracts, getting contracts with the uh, state-owned enterprises, excuse me. Um, even KPMG was associated with the Gupta companies, which led to inaccuracies in the audit reports. So these these things do come up. Um, and from my perspective, I think, um, you know, one of the highest risks in South Africa is dealing with third-party companies as agents or as, as, as people assisting your company coming in. Um, so from, from that perspective, you have to do a proper due diligence um, doing business in South Africa. And, and you don't always find the right information with third-party service providers that's based internationally that does uh, due diligence for you. So it's always good to get a local partner that understands the local environment and who's, who's the who's in the, in the zoo in South Africa. Because um, many of these third parties, you, you can do a screening on them with no adverse in, information available on the net or the, they're not listed as a, as a, a, a bad entity anyway. Um, but if you speak to the locals, uh, they will pick it up, you know, like the Gupta brothers at the time. So let me flip it the other way. What do you see in terms of South African companies uh, embracing or, or, or uh, uh, creating compliance programs? You mentioned uh, you really enjoyed the design creation and implementation of a compliance program. I found the same thing in my for, uh, last corporate position, and that's why that's the uh route I took when I started my own consulting firm as well, because I simply enjoyed creating those types of programs. Is this something that uh, forward-thinking South African companies are embracing, or is it still a, a, a relatively new discussion? In South Africa, like in many other countries around the world, compliance was only to be found in highly regulated industries, such as the financial industry, insurance industries, and those. And over the past 10 years, other industries in South Africa started to realize that if they want to conduct business internationally, they will have to start investing in compliance programs, including anti-corruption compliance programs. Um, you know, from my perspective and, 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 and my aim in, in, in having my own companies to assist these companies and building them and assist them in building these compliance programs. But in general, I think in South Africa, corporations do embrace the fact that they have to have a compliance program. It's the new norm to do business internationally. Um, and, and, and it's uh, um, just one of those essential elements in, in, in conducting business. Louis, is there a sort of a Southern Africa within the, the region of Southern Africa? Is there a fair amount of trade between the countries so that uh, you have the chance to observe compliance, not simply in South Africa, but in Angola or uh, Senegal or, or some of the other countries that uh, are in the Southern Horn of Africa? Yes, there's quite a, a, a quite a um, large number of trade between the the, the, the SADC countries, Southern African Development countries, um, and they do collaborate quite an, on on a bit. Um, especially from a regulatory perspective, the regulators do get together and talk a lot about the legislation and and the regulations. 
Uh, and you'll find, you know, if you look at antitrust, you know, there's a lot of similarities, anti-money laundering, um, anti-corruption and bribery. So there's a lot of similarities between um, the different uh, regulators as well in the southern, in southern Africa. We have mentioned uh, in this podcast several times the coronavirus health crisis. What has that done for not only compliance in South Africa, but perhaps even Citadel compliance in South Africa? Has it made uh, the actual doing of compliance more challenging or, or is, are you able to um, uh, design, create and implement compliance programs in this, at this point in time? I think, you know, for corporations that have compliance programs in place, it makes it a little bit more difficult because all of a sudden everything is remote. You have to operate as a compliance function remote. That means you're not on the face of the people anymore. They don't see you. Um, and it's like anything, if you don't advertise and market it, that people forget about it. Um, but from, from, from Citadel compliance perspective, I think um, – uh, there's a lot of more exposure because, as I mentioned earlier, that, that people go um, – they're on social media. They start you know, seeing posts that's been done by, by Citadel Compliance and myself. Um, and uh, I'm currently involved in a project with a local bank as well reviewing a, a compliance program that they recently implemented, which is great about uh, this uh, current situation. Everything can be done remotely. It's, it's not impossible. So this entire evaluation of a compliance program that I will be involved in in the next couple of months is doing it remotely, um, reviewing documentation, interviewing people, um, you know, and drafting reports, um, and everything's going to be done remote. You have sat in the CCO chair, so you understand what it means to be a chief compliance officer. Do you find this um, at this point in time when we're limited uh, to uh, either remote interviews or working from home in that situation, do you find this will be something that will benefit compliance when we eventually reopen for business across the globe and come out of COVID-19? In the past, when, 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 when finances wasn't an issue, people will easily get on a plane, not necessarily always um, the right thing to do, though. Um, with new ways of doing business, um, I think a lot of more people will start doing things remotely. Um, they will save a lot more budget and, and spend the budget on other things that's more appropriate from a compliance pro, uh, program perspective. Um, but then again, if you, if you look at compliance as well, you know, you have to be in the face of people. Um, certain things you can do remotely, but you know when 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 you start you know teaching and educating people face to face is always first prize. When you sit in business meetings and you have to um, elevate the, the the level of compliance, and you make and you need to make sure that people understand compliance risk in every any new venture or or current deals that they're busy with. There's nothing better than face to face. But I think uh, quite a bit of that is going to change and and move to you know uh, uh, virtual via you, uh, video calling and those type of things. Luz, do you see the regulator, regulators in South Africa uh, moving the compliance ball forward by um, moving to more uh, enforcement of anti-corruption compliance laws? Uh, where do you see sort of that part of compliance, the regulatory part? Um, yes, I do see them moving that forward. Um, as I mentioned earlier as well, that, that President Ramaphosa um, is, uh, is implementing a new anti-corruption strategy. Um, he's replaced the, the head of the intelligence unit um, and as well as the Hawks and the national prosecuting authorities. There's, there's a lot more focus on prosecuting anti-corruption. Um, if you look at South Africa um, and, 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 the, um, and the state of the economy, we can't afford to lose more money in this country on, on, on issues such as corruption. Um, yes, and even now with COVID uh, 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 being present, you know, there's, there's a lot more focus on 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 on, um, on, on, on enforcing the laws. 
especially from an anti-corruption perspective, because I foresee that from a uh, public procurement perspective, there's going to be quite a, a couple of issues coming in um, and people trying to take advantage of, of, of all the stimulus packages that's around. Lewis, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners were interested in finding out more about yourself or Citadel Compliance uh, and the services that you offer. How could they do so? Um, I've got a website. It's uh, www.citadelcompliance.co.za, or you can find me on LinkedIn under uh, Louis Perrault. Um, you send me a link. Send me a, 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 my, my contact particulars are there. Um, so you know, feel free to reach out, and and, and if you have any um, uh, need any information on on South Africa, doing business in South Africa, compliance in Southern Africa, please feel free to contact me. Uh, so uh, this has been a fascinating exploration of both where you are today, but also where uh, perhaps uh, anti-corruption compliance is in South Africa. I hope that uh, I can call upon you again to visit with us and let us know about uh, uh, upcoming developments in South Africa. Anytime. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the time. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take a look at an issue related to the FCPA, Compliance and Ethics. We have two great new podcast series on the Compliance Podcast Network that I hope you're aware of. The first one is Compliance and Coronavirus, where I try to bring sanity and clarity to the compliance practitioner and the business executive around coronavirus. Also, the Compliance Life features one CCO a month talking about their journey to the CCO chair and beyond in four parts. Uh, this month, that's Ryan Robillet and has, who has a fascinating journey. Also, if you're a fan of Teddy Roosevelt, I have a series on 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership hosted by Richard Lummis, where we're looking at Teddy Roosevelt, his life, his presidency, and beyond, and what its messages are for the leaders of today. It's a fascinating series. I know you will enjoy it, and it's particularly important for compliance practitioners to uh, take a look at leadership skills. I hope you'll join me again next week for our next episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.